morning in Maranatha. Our Lord comes. I, I kind of hate to see Scott go downstairs because a while back he was the one that sort of asked me this question. And uh, I'm going to uh, kind of take up because you ask um, series again. And it was Scott that asked me a long time ago, well, where did God come from? And that's a pretty deep question. And it's a question that I think we, that needs to be answered. As a matter of fact, um, I, I think as we look at that question uh, this morning, you, you need to realize that as, as you spend much time with, with young people and even adults, that question is always going to come up. Where, where did God come from? I think it's healthy for us to ponder those type of questions. But what I think is necessary is for those who love the Lord Jesus, for those who know him as Savior, to be into his word and to be able to give them an answer for that question. As a matter of fact, that's what 1 Peter 3.15 tells us that we're to do, to be ready always to give an answer to every man that asks you a reason for the hope that is in you with meekness and fear, to be ready, to be prepared to answer those type of questions even where did God come from I think it's natural for man to ask that question because you have to understand you have to realize that we were created with everything having a beginning and having an end with us being finite that's what we understand um, what I think is interesting People think that is an important question, but I guarantee you that when you stand before our living God, and everyone is going to stand before the Lord Jesus Christ, God's Word is very clear, that's the last question that's going to be on anybody's mind. I got news for you. Where did you come from? But I think there is, is a, several reasons why people ask that question. One, like I just said, it's, it's natural. Everything that we are familiar with has a beginning and it has an end. It's very difficult for us finite creatures to grasp that concept that there may be things outside our understanding. As a matter of fact, there are a lot of things that are outside our ability to understand. But I also think that one of the reasons it's such an important question is because there's a sense of rebelliousness involved in, in that question. Uh, because there's no answer that will ever satisfy those that are skeptical, those who are God deniers, who desire to deny God, because there's no definitive answer because every answer that we're going to look at, every point that we're going to look at, uh, takes faith to believe. As a matter of fact, Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6 says that, uh, but without faith it's impossible to please God, for he that cometh to God must believe that he is. He is. So when we, as we go through these different scriptures, where did God come from? We know it because God's word tells us uh, about about God and we're going to find out that he is from everlasting to everlasting God did not have a beginning nor will he have an end and we scratch our heads and we get headaches trying to contem uh, contemplate that and trying to to come to grips with that 
But just because we have a difficult time with that doesn't mean it's not so. You know, I've shared many times, there are so many things I don't understand in the natural realm. I don't understand how these lights are working. I don't really fully understand how that goes to zip, and all of a sudden, boom, there's light. I don't, some of you guys may understand. But see, that's so simple, but there are so many things, even in the natural universe, that I can't get my brain around. So I'm not even going to try in the supernatural. So what do we do? We accept it by faith. It's impossible to please God without faith. And he that comes to God must believe that he is. That he is. And again, everyone's going to have to stand before God. And I guarantee you on that day, they're not going to be saying, God, I have a question for you. Well, let me ask you this. Where did you come from? They're not going to be asking that. I don't think that's going to be on anyone's mind. I think more, more than likely it's, where am I going? Okay, because that issue can be settled. That issue can be settled by putting your faith and trust in Christ. So you have that assurance. But again, even with that assurance, based on what God's Word tells us, what does it take? Faith. We take God at His Word. So we believe that everything had a beginning. So that's just the way that we're wired. Uh, so why not God? Why not God? But have you ever thought about this? In the times that I've contemplated this is when I've stood in, you know, in a department store and you're trying on a pair of pants or something and you look in that one mirror. You ever, you ever looked at that mirror? And then it's just another picture. And then it just goes, you know what, what I'm talking about? And I look at that and I think, well, who created God? And then I think, well, who created God's creator? Well, then who created the creator of God's creator? Well, then, oh, okay. Well, who created the creator of God's creator who created God? It just keeps on. It's just like one of those things. And you just see all of, those, all of those pictures in front of you. You know what I found? That it is simpler. It's easier to just take God at his word. To believe what his, God, what, what his word uh, tells us. See, re regardless, if you're going to go back into infinity to try to find where God began, it, eventually you're going to say, hey, it's eternal. Exactly. God is eternal. He has no beginning, nor will he have an ending. Sooner or later... You, there had to be an infinite one. And that's the one that we serve. That's the one that we love. Why not just accept God at his word? See, I want a God that's all-powerful. And our God is all-powerful. I want a God that is all-knowing. You ever thought that, about this, that nothing has ever occurred to God? There's never been a time when God went, oh, man, I hadn't thought about that. He is, he is all-knowing. He is so sublime. He is so glorious. He is so wonderful. He is so eternal, all-powerful, all-knowing, without beginning and without ending. That is such an awesome God. I want to know Him. I want to be on His side. 
I want to be part of him. And the glorious truth is, the invitation is for us to know this extremely awesome God. I accept by faith his word. Psalm 90 verse 2 says that he is from everlasting to everlasting. And as far as I'm concerned, that sums it up. From everlasting to everlasting. Isaiah 57, 15 tells us that God inhabits eternity. He is outside time and space. He created time. He created space. He lives outside of it. The same boundaries that affect us don't affect our wonderful Savior, our all-powerful God. Revelation 1.14 tells us which is, which was, and which is to come. Again, pointing out that God is eternal. Isaiah 46, 9 and 10 tells us that I am God and there's none like me. Aren't you glad you're on his side? Aren't you glad that he is the true and living God and that you are part of him and you've gathered here this morning to worship him and to glorify him? And that's a pretty bold statement. He alone deserves our worship because he is such an awesome God. Isaiah 45, 22, I am God, none else there in just two short chapters. He repeats that. I am God and there's none else. Isaiah 45, verses, uh, verse 5, talks about the fact that there is no other God over and over and over again. God is trying to make sure that the nation of Israel, his people, understand this characteristic about him. I am the Lord and there is none else. There is no God beside me. I girded thee though you had not known me. Even the creation, even those who deny God's existence, he is still the one that holds this universe together. He is still the one that constrains. He is still the one that keeps everything from flying off into, into outer space. And he is the one that, that keeps it together. There is none like him. Genesis 21, verse 33. He says he is an everlasting God. And Abraham planted a grove in Beersheba and called there on the name of the Lord, the everlasting Elohim, the all-powerful, the one that could bring about creation, the one that is uh, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. He is the everlasting God. So where did God come from? Well, the fact is, he has always been, and he always will be. The world can scoff at that. The world can laugh at that. The world can say, well, that's not an answer, but it's the truth. And just because I can't understand it, just because I can't explain it with feeble words, still doesn't mean it's not true. And I'm going to tell you something, folks. I believe that heaven is going to reveal so many wonders and so many glories that it's just its going to be mind-boggling. It's going to be so wonderful when we get there and we accept it by faith. Yes, it boggles our minds, but does not change the fact that it's true. 
that he is everlasting. And just because we have a problem understanding how he can have always existed does not mean it's not so. So those who want to deny the existence of of God, I don't argue with them anymore. I pray for them. I grieve for them because there's so much joy. There is so much pleasure in knowing that, that, that you belong to God and He belongs to you. And those that want to scoff, those who want to, uh, in, their, in their minds, question the reality of God or, or even come up with this rebellious, well, where did God come from? As if we have an answer. Except by faith we take God that He's always been. And, it's, it, and, it's still, and it falls, really, that question really falls in the same category as that really dumb question. Uh, and being a youth pastor for a number of years, I got this all the time. Well, is God all-powerful? Can, is there, can God do all things? Well, yeah. Well, can he, make, can, can he create a rock that's too heavy for him to pick up? You ever heard somebody ask you that? If God's all-powerful, if he can do anything, can he pick up? A, can he make a rock that's too heavy for him to pick up? Now, that's what the Bible is referring to when it talks about avoid vain and foolish questions. Because there are something, there are things that God can't do. One, for instance, is lie. God can't lie. Aren't you glad this morning God can't lie? So when they ask me these stupid questions, number one, and that's a good thing about getting older. You don't have to be quite as, still need to be nice. But you don't have to be quite as nice. And you can be a little more direct and go, that is the dumbest question I've ever heard. And there's a lot of pressure. I mean, a lot of pleasure. It used to be pressure. Now there's a lot of pleasure in just saying, look, that's, that's a silly question. Um, but that people still ask it. And it's out of rebelliousness, out of rebelliousness, and so we, you know, you, in love, you speak the truth, right, and you tell them, boy, that's stupid, but anyway, but that falls into that same category, well, well, where did God come from? He didn't, he didn't come from any place except his own existence, he has always been. And I'm going to show you a scripture of that in just a second. Uh, we accept it by faith. God is infinite. God is infinite. And Ann, I expect you to remember all of this so you can tell it to Scott when you go home today. God is infinite. Having no limits or bounds extending beyond measure that is God has no limits he has no boundaries he extends beyond all measure man on the other hand has measurable limits and bounds we're created with those and I got to tell you I'm thankful for that I'm thankful for that mankind gets into enough trouble with limits, with boundaries, and they're always pushing them. But man has a hard time accepting our infinite God. 
God is the creator of time and space. He's not limited by either. He stands outside of it. He controls it. We don't. We are so finite when it comes to all that is there to know. And I think the scripture that sums it up, turn with me, turn with me to Exodus. Exodus chapter 3. This is where God is coming to Moses. And he is, he's talking to Moses out of the burning bush. And he is calling Moses to go to the children of Israel. And he is to lead them out of bondage. And he is to go and say, you're supposed to follow me. And Moses asked God a question. He says, and, uh, Exodus 3, verse, let's start with verse 13. And Moses said unto God, Behold, when I come unto the children of Israel, and shall say unto them, The God of your fathers hath sent me unto you, and they shall say to me, Well, what is his name? What shall I say unto them? And God said unto Moses, I am am that I am. And he said, Thus shalt thy say unto the children of Israel, I am hath sent me unto you. The I am that I am, that is Hava, that is self-existing, it is eternal. This is where the, the name Jehovah comes from, is this here, as God was giving to Moses his name. He is self-existing. It is all-inclusive. I am that I am. What's interesting is when Christ uses that name in the New Testament, an incredible thing happens. Look at John 18. John 18. I am that I am. That's what you need to know about God. That's what you need to know. He is eternal. He is self-existing. But John 18, verse 6. John 18, verse 6. Oh, no, let's start with verse... Let's start with verse 4. John 18, verse 4. And Jesus, therefore, knowing all things that should come upon him went forth and said unto them, Whom seek ye? Now this is, they're coming to the garden. They're wanting to arrest him. Judas has betrayed him. Judas is going to come and plant a kiss on him. Remember, they're in the garden. There are no street lights. And they, Judas will know exactly who Christ is. And so he's told them, The one that I go and embrace and kiss, that's him. Grab him. And so he's in the garden. And so Christ asked them, who do you seek? In verse 5, And they answered him, Jesus of Nazareth. And Jesus said unto them, I am. The he is not in the original. He didn't say, that's me. He didn't say, I'm he. He said, I am. And what do they do? What, what, what does that cause? And verse 6, 
as soon then as he said unto them, I am, they went backward and fell to the ground. The power, the might, the declaration that he, he was declaring, I am Jehovah. I am God. We seek Jesus. I am and just that statement was so incredibly powerful, they could not stand, and they fell to the ground. Look at John 8. Verse 58. I'll start with verse 53. Art thou greater than our father? This was the skeptical uh, Pharisees and the Sadducees and the elders of Israel. Art thou greater than our father Abraham, which is dead, and the prophets are dead? Whom makest thou thyself? And Jesus answered, If I honor myself, my honor is nothing. It is my Father that honors me, of whom you say that he is your God. Yet you have not known him, but I know him. And if I should say I know him not, I would be a liar like you. But I know him and keep his saying. Your father Abraham rejoiced to see me my day, and he saw it. And was glad. Then said the Jews unto them, Thou art not yet fifty years old, and hast thou seen Abraham? And Jesus said unto them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, Before Abraham was, I am. Again, identifying himself to be the true God of heaven. See, that sums up everything that, that God wants us to know about him. And we find it in His Word. It is absolutely important that we accept these truths by faith. There is, I've never been outside, well, I haven't been very far. Certainly haven't been into the solar system. I haven't been, um, mankind hasn't, when you think of going to the moon, well, that's quite a distance, isn't it? And we've sent satellites even further, and they're taking pictures, and they're seeing things uh, that are pretty incredible. And so they'll say, well, there's, there's really no proof. Well, to me, that is, I think creation is proof in the, in the existence of God. But God exists eternally by no cause whatsoever outside of himself, and he alone is sufficient cause of all that is. Does that make sense? Let me say that again, because that's good. God exists eternally by no cause whatsoever outside himself. And, he, and that he alone is the su sufficient cause of all that is. What a mighty God we serve. We're finite. He's infinite. We have boundaries. He has none. We have controls set upon us. He has no controls set upon him. He has no measurable limits. We do. And you know, another thing that I think is important is that God did not choose to explain himself or his eternal state. 
when you study God's word that wakes up by faith, God did not, God did not choose to explain himself. He just stated it as fact. Genesis 1.1 says what? In the beginning, God. In the beginning, God. Now, God knows what was before that. One of the things that was before that is that God knew you. You were in the mind of God before the beginning. I think that's pretty incredible. Before the foundation of the world, God knew you. But in the beginning, God. And how do we accept that? By faith. By faith. So if God does not attempt to explain himself, I'm certainly not going to try, but accept it by faith. I think that falls into the category of Psalm 139.6. that says, such knowledge is too wonderful for me. I cannot attain unto it. No, I can't. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me that He is eternal, that He is the great I Am, that He has always existed, and that He loves me. He desires to have a relationship with me. That's high. I cannot attain unto it. You know, that's better than saying I can't get my mind wrapped around that. Because basically, that's the paraphrase. It is high. I cannot attain unto it. I can't get my mind wrapped around that. That knowledge is just too wonderful. And it is true. John 24, I mean John 4. John 4 verse 24. Tells us that God is a spirit. And they that worship him must worship him in spirit and and in truth. God is a spirit. They that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. So God is a spirit. So how can we who are finite, how can we know him who's infinite? He exists in a spiritual realm that is beyond our comprehension. God is a spirit and God's word is very clear that no one has seen uh, no one has seen God the Father. We're going to look at that verse in just a second. So God's a spirit. So how can we that are finite, how can we comprehend? Need to understand something real quickly. I believe that man's conscience tells him, screams at him that there is a divine being. I believe that there is a void, a spiritual void in man that cries out to be filled. And it is up to us who know the true and living God to make sure they hear about the Lord Jesus Christ. That they need to understand who the God of this book is. Because he's the true and living God. But I think all men have that void. They have that desire to, to, to know to know God, to have that, that spiritual enlightening. Unfortunately, some of them go off into false religions. Some of them worship uh, beasts. They worship the earth. They worship trees. They worship lakes. They worship anything and everything but the true God. Matter of fact, that's what Romans 1 uh, uh, accuses a man of doing. 
is that they worship the creation more than the creator. But see, the reason they do this is because they have that desire to know the true and living God. He's spirit, and he's, he's out there. So let's worship this rock, or let's worship these trees. And we wouldn't know who he is. We, wouldn't know, we would not know his character. We would not understand his holiness or his attributes at all, except he's revealed himself to us in two ways. This God who is spirit has revealed himself to us in two ways. Number one, through the written word. Here's where he has revealed himself to us, is through his word. That's why knowing it is so important. That's why studying it is so important. That's why defending it is so important. You want to know one of the reasons why we have so much trouble in this nation or around the world is because this book is being pitched. But it's only this book where you can know and get the answers to those questions that are so relevant today. Yet, people don't seem to to want to turn to that. But it's how do we know God who is spirit? How do we know who he is? He's revealed himself to us in the written word, the Bible. If it were not for the written word, I'm Convinced people would still be, well, would be worshiping rocks and trees and worshiping the creation, not the creator. But it's through the Bible that we learn about his attributes and his nature and his characteristics and his love. And we accept it. We accept his word without error, infallible, complete. Grieves me as people go through it sometime and they try to chop it up and they try to, they try to uh, take this part out and that part out and they try to liberalize it and they try to make changes to it that, that destroys the truth of who God is. We have the complete Word of God. We just need to study it. And as much as I love this written Word of God, There is another way that he has revealed himself to us that's even more wonderful. And that's the living word. That's the living word. We have the written word, but we have the living word. The one who was made flesh and dwelt among us. God himself wrapped in flesh, Jesus Christ. Colossians 1.15 tells us that he is the image of the invisible God. That's Christ Jesus, the firstborn of every creature. John 1.18 tells us that no man hath seen God at any time. The only begotten Son, which is in the bosom of the Father, He has revealed Him. He has declared Him. You want to know God the Father. You want to know who God is. Then you have to know the Son. Even in the Old Testament, whenever there was an epiphany, any time there was a, a viewing, a sighting, a seeing, any time God had dealings with, with man, whether it be Moses, whether it be Abraham, whether it be any of them, it was always the Lord Jesus Christ in his pre-incarnate form. Always. 
No man has seen God at any time. But the Son has revealed Him. That is why it's so important that by faith you trust and believe in Him. Look at John 14. John 14. Verse 5. John 14. Verse 5. And Jesus said unto him, or Thomas said unto him, Lord, we know not whether you go, and how can we know the way? And Jesus said unto him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes unto the Father but by me. If you had known me, you should have known my Father also, and from henceforth you know him and have seen him. Philip said unto him, Lord, show us the Father, and it will satisfy us. It will suffice us. And Jesus said unto him, Have I been so long with you, and yet thou hast not known me, Philip? He that hath seen me hath seen the Father. Who declares the Father? Who reveals the Father? It is the Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. God has revealed His love, His mercy, His character, His attributes, who He is in His Word. His Word says He is eternal. That settles it for me. Where did God come from? He has always been. He always will be. I don't want a God that had a beginning. I don't want a God that, that their stories can be told about their origin. That's not a God. But the one we serve, He is the true and living God. And when He says, there are no other gods before me, you believe it. When He says He is eternal, you believe it. When He says He is everlasting, you believe it. When He says that every knee is going to bow and every tongue is going to confess that Jesus is Lord to the glory of the Father, you believe it. You believe it. Our God has always existed. No beginning, no end. All-powerful, all-knowing, and He loves you. Mind-boggling. Such knowledge is too wonderful. I cannot attain unto it. And our true and living God revealed Himself, revealed His nature in His Word. He revealed Himself by becoming man so that we might know Him. He revealed His love to us by dying on the cross. He reveals His power by saving you. 1 Timothy 1.17 I think Paul kind of wraps all of that truth up when he says, now unto the King eternal, immortal, invisible, the only wise God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. What a tribute. What a declaration of who God, of who God is. And the question this morning is, do you know this God who loves you? Do you know this God who is immortal? Do you know this God who is all-powerful? Have you entered into a personal relationship with Him 
by accepting his offer of eternal life through the complete and finished work of his son, Jesus Christ, on Calvary's cross. That is the best, that is the most glorious gift that any person could ever receive is that eternal life. Then you'll get to know what it's like to live for eternity. That's a pretty good deal, isn't it? Yeah, we may not understand eternity now, but we're going to live it. When we've been there 10,000 years, bright shining as the sun, we've no less days to sing God's praise than when we first begun. True. True. And that God loves you and He offers salvation by grace. Not by any work you could perform, not by any deeds you could complete. God just says, I love you. I want a relationship with you. I want to make you a new creation. I want to restore you to that favor. And I can do it through my son who died on Calvary's cross and rose again. What a salvation. What a gift. Let's pray. Father, we come before you this morning and as we bow our hearts and we bow our heads before you, we come thinking what an awesome God you, you are. Our God is an awesome God and you reign. And you reign supreme. And we love you and we worship you. We adore you, God. And we pray that you will use each one of us. Or I pray that each one of us will submit ourselves to you to be used in the way that's your will. Father, may everything we do, may everything we say be done in such a way to bring glory and honor to you. Father, may our lives be a testimony of your grace and mercy and may we ever be ready to give an answer of that hope that's within us to every man that asks us. Father, how thankful we are this morning that we serve an everlasting God with no beginning, no ending, no limitations, except you can't lie. And what your word has said will come to pass. Father, we thank you for that assurance. And I pray if there's anyone here this morning that's never trusted you as Savior, before they walk out of this building, before they start this new week, that, Father, they will put their faith and their trust in the only one who can save them, and that is the Lord Jesus Christ, that by faith they believe that you died for them, you were buried for them, you rose again for them, you paid the debt of sin they owe. And Father, you will begin your work in their lives to conform them to the image of your Son. Father, we thank you for that truth. And it's in the precious name of Jesus Christ we pray these things. Amen.